Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. We rejoice and are glad in all the things you have prepared for us. The days on the beaches and the days in the fields, God, we just thank you that in the good times and in the hard times, that everything is good in your eyes. You make everything good, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's dive into Acts chapter 3 today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin. We're coming out of Acts chapter 2. We've been sitting there for a few weeks, and we'll give you guys some context to catch up with. Um, Acts chapter 2 describes the event that took place and a feast called Pentecost. 120 people were in a room, and it says the Holy Spirit came in um, and shook everything up. It says a wind, a sound of a wind, um, to the effects of a sound of a tornado, which would be like a train, came blowing through. And for the first time, and only time that we have seen in the scriptures, uh, fire is on top of people's heads. They're not burning. Um, And all of a sudden, uh, a new miracle takes place where these people are speaking into a tongue of a foreign language. Um, And people out in the fields and in the streets can hear and understand what they're saying. The problem is is that these weren't... uh, great uh, interpreters or translators. These are fishermen who are uneducated and yet still have the ability to speak in foreign languages that were blowing people's minds. And what were they saying? They were singing praises to God. When you are, 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 are ministering and you're praying and you're, you're singing or whatever it is in the Holy Spirit, you are singing praises to God. Why? Because he is great. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. Can I tell you, there's been times in my life where I have been so beat down, discouraged, and exhausted physically that I couldn't muster up the energy to sing praises. But what's crazy is I had the ability still to sing or pray in tongues. I didn't, my mind was exhausted to think of something to say besides, God, you're good. And that's great but my spirit was still awake and my spirit was still alert. And sometimes in life when you don't know what else to do, it is that opportunity to sing praises unto God because he inhabits those praises and and he sends his spirit. He dwells in that moment and restores your soul. He has the ability to supersede everything. Jesus is sitting at the well and he is physically famished. He is exhausted with life. He sends the disciples to go and find food in Samaria. A, wo- a woman comes up to, 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 to draw a well. He explains to him who, sh- who she is and who he is. And when the disciples come back, they go, here's the food. And he says, I have food of which you don't know. Because operating in the presence of God restores your physical body and restores your soul. In this moment, Peter stands up, who just weeks previously were, was terrified to even say he knew who Jesus was, and is now standing in front of thousands of people, declaring that they are nothing more than murderers. Bold. In this moment, he also has the ability to remember scriptures in which he could, know, he could not study. Yet through the Holy Spirit, he un- opens up things. He opens up the ability to see things and to hear things and to speak through him. 
And in, and in verse 42, it says they continued in chapter 2 to steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The Holy Spirit, just like in those days, is still moving today. What I find is interesting is in verse 43 in chapter 2, it says this, and then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. I, I don't know about you, but that phrase has always boggled me. Like, Luke, what else happened? What took place? What's going on? And then for the remaining, uh, beginning in chapter 3, you'll see an explanation of this sentence. What were these signs? What were these wonders? Why were people afraid? And you're about to see what's taken place here. Now, I love this because what I like to do systematically when it comes to, to breaking down passages like this is, is, is in, in, uh, in seminary, you, you, you read the passage, you read the chapters before, the chapter after, you take into context everything that's going on. But one of the fun things to do, and this is me being a nerd, is that you just read and you just begin to write initial observations. Can you put chapter 3, verse 1 up for me, Josh? You just begin to see something and you go, huh, that's an interesting phrase, or I wonder what that means. And, and you begin to pull things out to do some research. So here is the beginning of what was fear and what was the wonder and what was the miracle. Now Peter and John went up together. Pause. It's a great phrase. Why? Because what it tells me is that even when Holy Spirit has elevated them to a spiritual peak of highness, they still found themselves continually steadfast in proper relationships. And what were those proper relationships doing? It was pushing them, look at this, to the temple. If your relationships are not continually drawing you closer to God, they are not the right relationships for you. If what you're doing right now is leading yourself and leading other people away from the presence of God, then what are you doing? Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, have this moment in a room separate from the temple. And here's the kicker. God connected with them away from the temple, but they still found themselves needing to be a part of a group of people. Can God speak to you in the fields? Sure. Can God speak to you in your car? Sure. Can God speak to you in your living room when you're, when you're with your devotion on Thursday morning? Absolutely, he can. But one thing we see perfectly clear is that when the Holy Spirit showed up, they still saw themselves connected to a body. Because living life alone is never what God intended for anyone. In fact, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. And this is what you're seeing, and I, and I find it kind of interesting in this moment, is that they didn't look and go, well, we're having our service. We're good. We've got more power than y'all do. We're good. God's giving me revelation. We're good. They woke up, connected one to another, and said, let's go. Let's connect in our relationships because friends that push friends to serving God are good friends. It says, now Peter and John went up together in the temple at the, at, in the hour of prayer, in the ninth hour, and a certain man was lame from his mother's womb. We'll keep going. 
And they carried whom they laid at the gate temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms for those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. So Peter and John, two of the 12 apostles of the early church, remember this idea of being an apostle is a special um, designation sent by God. The apostle is a special ambassador of God to make big changes, to enforce the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. And it says they continue to go to the temple, which means this, is that they continue to find themselves as Jews. They never thought that they just created a new religion. What they thought was actually the exact opposite. We have something that every one of you have been searching for for so long. Hey, can you get this echo out? We have been searching for something for so long, and now you, oh God, are here, and we want to tell everyone. We're not branching off doing our own thing. What we're doing is magnifying the Messiah that we've already been, that we know is here and have been praying for for all time. They would continue to go because they thought of themselves as Jewish men. And and I find it interesting that they would be a part of what's going on. And and I'm sure that there were some aspects that they weren't doing. I'm sure they weren't involved in the animal sacrifices, not because they were part of PETA, but because they knew that the ultimate sacrifice has already been done. Notice that they went in the ninth hour. You remember in the book of John when Jesus is hung on the cross in the ninth hour, and he says, it's done. And so maybe they weren't going in the ninth hour to offer, offer animal sacrifices, but they knew this is the exact same time our ultimate sacrifice was given, and let's go and pray. While they are still dealing with, dealing with animal sacrifices, we're going to stand here, and we're going to worship and glorify God and what's taking place. No, they saw themselves as Jewish men. And there's a couple of things here that I find is so interesting. Number one is that they had this new revelation, but new revelation doesn't mean that we stop associating with people. We we see this on a a regular basis is that I no longer am going to associate with you because I have received revelation that's beyond where you are today. We've been in part of churches where I can't go there anymore because they just, I've received this growth that passed that pastor, and now I need to get new places. I can no longer be a part of Elaine's small group because I already have revelation about what she's teaching. How foolish are we? Let me explain to you about Revelation. That, that there, there are three big types. There, there is one where you study. You have a revelation about something you are studying. You have an educational experience that has added wealth of information into you. Maybe it's a foreign language. Maybe it's a topic on, on physics. Or maybe it's a, it's a history. It's, it's something that connects the dots that you have studied. The second type is this, is that we have this idea that a work experience will change you too. My dad continually does this to me. Well, dad, how would you know that? Because I did it the wrong way, son. So now I know. And what he's telling me is I walked down this road and I had an experience that was good or bad and I want to pass it on to you. In other words, a revelation through an experience or work. The third thing is this, is there's a revelation that is a gift. 
You didn't work for it. God just gave it to you. And I'm hearing these people, uh, Christians, on a, on a regular basis make this statement of, well, <laughs> to get what I've got, you've got to walk through my shoes. Sure, if it's something you've studied. And sure, if it's something that you have learned through a horrible or good experience. But a lot of the times, when God reveals something to you, it is a gift to you so that you can give it away to other people. God's revelation is never meant for you to separate yourself from other people so that you can be up here and they can be down here. So Peter and John have this revelation. Did, did they work for the Holy Spirit? No. Did they study for the Holy Spirit? No. The Holy Spirit was a gift. It filled the room. And where do they find themselves? We're going to take this revelation and we're going to go to the temple. Because freely they received, freely they're going to give out. Revelation should never cause you to separate yourself from the people of God. That's how you know it's not a godly revelation if it does. If you find yourself feeling superior, that's not a godly experience. That's pride. That's haughtiness. But what a godly revelation is meant to do is to have you open your eyes to go, Oh my word, I was wrong first and foremost. And I want to express to other people who were in my shoes walking the same path, this new understanding that I've received. Nine times out of ten, God doesn't give me a revelation about how horrible Connie is. Sorry to burst your bubble, guys. Well, I was in prayer the other day, Ira, and let me tell you all the reasons why you're wrong. That, that's not what he's doing. There is the office of a prophet that he has, or she has the ability to that God will give them insight, but it's always through love. It's always through love. The idea that I'm just going to walk up and look, hey, Thomas, let me tell you the 10 reasons why you're wrong in everything in life. God gave me revelation of all your deep, dark secrets. It's not what he's about because God's not here to embarrass somebody. But when Thomas and I are brothers and we're walking life and we're going through something and we're in prayer and we're seeking God of this issue and the circumstance, and all of a sudden I have this aha moment that came out of nowhere, I have the responsibility to run to Thomas to say, God showed me this. And when it registers in his spirit and registers in my spirit, we begin to walk together in this new revelation. But what I don't do is I go, Thomas, I figured it out. It's going to cost you $29.99 every month. I'm going to monetize the free gift of revelation that was given to me. No? Okay. Okay. Because revelation can be a gift. When I was in school here as a kid, my dad was a principal. And he went through some hard times. And one thing about Alan Covey, if you didn't know, is that um, he doesn't take no junk from nobody. No, he, he sat there and I watched him as a kid. His office actually used to be right here in this corner. And uh, there was some parents that had some issues and they were very, very wrong. And I watched my dad as a kid. I wasn't in the room, but thin walls. Um, express to them how wrong they were and I watched their demeanor go from we're coming in to tell this man how horrible he is to oh my goodness we are wrong and then I had the revelation that that's my dad 
And if he can do that, so can I. So now I'm going to walk up to the water fountain and say, y'all get out of the way. My dad is the principal. The problem was my dad was the principal, and it's thin walls. (laughs) And I got yanked into an office that he could show me where I stood in life. And I had a revelation that just because my dad was the principal didn't make me the principal. I'm built like a surfboard because all my booty got beat in. No, uh, I, 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 it, was, it was one of those things where that was a, an experiential revelation. Can I tell you that just because the Holy Spirit gives you revelation doesn't mean you are now the Holy Spirit. Our job is to continue to be vessels of love and honor. So they go up to this gate called Beautiful. So why was this gate so beautiful? Josephus says, a historian says this, is that it was made of Corinthian brass. It was 75 feet high. That's big. It had double doors. They were so beautiful that Josephus says that this, they were called great exceedingly, only, only superseded by ones covered with gold and silver. We're talking about gates here. And when you're talking about doors being covered with gold and silver, that's some beautiful uh, Corinthian brass going around. And it was unbelievably beautiful, and everybody knew about it. And they would come up to the gate, and every time they'd come up to the gate, there was a certain layman sitting there outside the temple waiting to ask for alms. This is how the story goes. The, The beggar is going, can I have alms? He's standing there, and the Bible says that he has been crippled since birth. So let's just not take this out of context. You have a mom that's in labor and she's uh, screaming and doing everything she can to, to have to birth this child. And as the baby comes out crying, she hears, he's alive, she's alive, whatever it is. Is it, is it a boy? Is it a girl? What's going on? And they, she can hear based on the facial expressions and the lack of congratulations from everyone in the room that something has gone horribly wrong. He was crippled from birth. In this season of of society, people who were dealing with any form of disability wasn't seen in a positive light. It wasn't a good thing. It wasn't an okay thing. It was ultimately this, for the remainder of your life, you will be worthless. You will be useless. These dads would have their kids with an expectation that they would follow in the trade. Jesus followed Joseph and became a carpenter. If your dad was a farmer, he would want lots of kids to help in the fields. If your dad did this and he was a potter, then then they would train you in that way. And now... This dad looks at his son and goes, I guess you're going to be an inconvenience for the rest of my life. At this season of life, this man has been here for 40 plus years. Can you imagine the heartache? Can you imagine watching your friends run and play and your friends being trained by their dad and their trade and you're sitting there going, what's the point? I'm a burden to my mom. I'm a burden to my dad. 
All I can do is just consume what they make. I, I see when you're going in Montgomery, there's a couple of hot spots with people who are homeless. And sometimes I give and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I've got cash on me. And now there's one guy, he takes Venmo, I guess. I don't know how that's even possible, but he does. He's got a QR code. You can scan it and text him money. It's bizarre. <laughs> there's a guy, I was listening to a pastor. He was talking about how when he was in Jerusalem, he was walking by and one of the big things for piety in the Jewish culture is to give. To help those less in need, it makes them feel better. It shows that they are religious. It shows that they are spiritual by giving to the poor, to those less fortunate. And he said he was there and he saw this Orthodox Jew standing there and he was standing there with his arms folded watching all these Christian tourists walk by and not give anything. And he made a scene so that all of them would force their eyes onto him. And he takes a wad of cash and puts it in the bucket and says, see how much more spiritual we are than you people, and walks away. Mentally, in this season of life, being in the position where this man was, was this idea that he was going to be able to have people who were trying to show off how spiritual they were. They were going to be able to, to give to him, but he was never going to contribute back. Listen, we, as a parent, we say things that we don't mean. We have moments where we have low times and we say things, but I, I, would, I would put myself in his shoes for a second because in all scheme of life, we look and go, every single person has intrinsic value. But unfortunately, in the season of the society of the world, they didn't believe that. He was nothing more than an inconvenience to everyone. And I feel like there's people in this room that have felt that same thing. That you are worthless. That you are an inconvenience. The words that he would hear about him. The idea that when he was, as a child, other moms would come hang out with his mom and go, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And, and he always was the issue of conversation. Every time dads would go out and do father and son things, he would have to stay home and his dad couldn't participate. He would continue to hear hurtful things. Intended or unintended, it still hurts. Words affect who we are. Words change our attitude. You may be having a low moment and you may just spout off saying one thing, but you don't realize what that one thing does to the heart of that individual. And you don't realize how many times that reinforces a thought that has already been in there. A few years back, I was um, pastoring in a church in Fort Myers, and, and we got a call from, the, from Dunbar Middle School at the time because the state had mandated that they begin to do this anti-bullying campaign. But they weren't going to give them any resources. It was more or less just play this video and say you did it, check off the box. So we partnered with them, and we had this curriculum that we, we, we purchased, and we were going to send our team in to teach, this, to teach a curriculum that was not 
biblically in the context of showing scripture in verse, but it was all spiritual. And if you're talking about being intrinsic value, if you're talking about having a vision, if you're talking about having dreams and purposes, that's scriptural. So we were able to, to water it down a little bit, but still get our point across the best we could. If you read between the lines, you saw what was going on. Um, and the rules were if anybody asks a question, you can answer it scripturally, but they have to ask first. And so we're going through the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade there, and, and we were there for a full week. And every morning we would have different classes roll in and roll out. And we were doing these things of intrinsic value, and we were walking ideas of vision. And, and one of the exercises we did was about labels. So we had these, hello, my name is, and it had just a blank, and then you would write something. What we were asking every student to do is, and this day was sixth grade, uh, we were asking these sixth graders to write a mean thing that has completely hurt you before. Write it down. And the idea is you are not your labels, and they were going to take off their name tag, and there's a mannequin there. They're going to put their name tag on the mannequin, and in other words, I'm taking my label off, and I'm putting it on something else. And the whole idea was you are not that, and so we're going row by row, and, and we're not embarrassing anybody, and I'm talking to each kid like, hey, what's going on? What's something they would say? And then I would write it down for them if they couldn't spell it, and, which is funny because I can't spell. And so we're, 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 we're writing this, this thing through, and, and you were hearing hurtful things. In sixth grade, I'm looking at some of these kids. What's something mean? They just call me fat, okay? Uh, whore, racial slurs. You, you, we, were, we were walking through uh, uh, pointless. We were walking through all of these things that were just mean. Uh, they, were, they were just talking. Uh, one, one, was, uh, one of the hard ones, uh, you were nothing but a crack baby. You're walking through some of these hurtful things. You're like, holy moly. So I get to this one kid, he's got these nice Nikes on, he's got this nice outfit on, and I saw his, you know, when his, his uh, dad dropped him off, it was a Mercedes, it was a nice upper, upper middle class family. And, and so he goes, nothing, man, I, no one's been mean to me. Think of something, nothing. Okay, great, I'll come back to you. Think about it. I'd go around, I'd come back to him. You got anything? Nope. Okay, great. Keep going, I'd come back to him. He said, I got nothing. Like, okay, do you have friends? He's like, yeah. I said, how about think of something mean that one of your friends has, something that was mean to one of your friends. Let's bring his or hers aspect into it. He goes, okay. So I go through and I come through back. Do you got anything? Yeah, I think I got something. Like, great. What was it? And he goes, worthless. So I wrote worthless down. Somebody is your friend. He's like, yeah. I'm like, man, that was that was harsh. And this is where you listen to Holy Spirit because you knew that this wasn't about his friend. On the outside, everything was put together, but on the inside, somebody had said something. So I said, okay, great, man. That must have really hurt your friend's feelings. He goes, yeah, I guess so. And so we're talking, and, and I'm like, man, how, how did that happen? He was like, somebody said it to him, and it hurt his feelings. And so he's looking down, and, and so I'm, we're corresponding back and forth with some pauses here and there and I say hey just I, I hate to be that guy but just between you and me is this really all the people here think it's your friend you said it pretty loudly but between you and me is this really your friend and I could see the tears welling up in his eyes and he's like no it's me okay I said I'm so sorry somebody told you you were worthless and at this moment you can start seeing them, them trickle down and you're listening to the Holy Spirit. What do you do? What do you say? What, what's the next step? And I, then it just pops out of my mouth. 
and it's so hurtful that it comes from somebody that was family. And boom, tears. And I said, yeah, family, huh? And he's shaking his head, and I said, parent? He said, my mom told me that I was worthless and pointless, and then she got in her car, and we haven't seen her since. The final words that his mom spoke to him that he he knew was that he was worthless and pointless, and she hasn't come home. On the outside, this kid's got it all together. On the inside, he's dying. And I put myself in this beggar. How many... How many people would walk by and just scoff at him? Get a job. Stop being this way. Make something of yourself. Oh my God, there's that stupid beggar. And, and, and you're going through all of these things. The words that had to have affected him, the, the numbness of his heart had to have been great. And the reality is, is that he could never even go into the temple. Leviticus tells us that the lame we're not allowed to even go inside. So he's propped himself up watching other people go places he could never go. He sees his condition, he hears what's being said, and he's watching people go where he can't go. And this is where Peter and John walk up. And it says that Peter looks at, at this man and says, Look at us. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I don't want to give money to the homeless, I don't look at them. You got that little divider in your car, and you can pull up right where it blocks off, and you're like, I can't see you. You don't exist. But the moment you make eye contact, they walk up to your car. So Peter looks at them and goes, look at us. And it says that he fixed his eyes on Peter and John with an expectation to receive. I love that part because there should always be this idea as as I look towards Jesus, there is an expectation of something coming. What was his expectation? His expectation was to receive alms. His expectation was maybe a couple, a couple of denarii. Maybe it was some money here or there. Maybe it was some food. Here, we've got something for you. But the greatest part is his expectation to receive was there, but God can meet more than even your expectations can allow you to receive. Because his circumstances was when somebody says, look at me, and I look at them, they give me something in my cup, and they move on. That's what I'm expecting. So when Peter says, look at us, he looks with expectation And then Peter says probably the most heartbreaking phrase. We don't got money. Why am I looking at you then? We don't have anything. The heartache yet again. Why would we do all of these things? I was listening to a, uh, the pastor um, in Southern California, and he was talking about at Calvary Chapel when he was there that he did this night of prayer and asked if anybody needs prayer. And these two ladies willed this man up in a wheelchair. And he says, in that moment, I knew Holy Spirit was telling me to, to pull this man out of this wheelchair and pray for him. Just like 
Peter and John. Peter wouldn't have just randomly grabbed this guy and said, rise up and walk if he didn't know God spoke to him. We're not creating this ministry where you're walking around Walmart just throwing people out of wheelchairs like, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to find one. It's not Easter egg hunting, guys. You're listening to Holy Spirit and what he's telling you to do. Peter and John, he says to do something and they do it. And this pastor looks and says, I see this man in a wheelchair. And I'm going to, Holy Spirit says, pull him out of the wheelchair. And I'm going to pull him out of the wheelchair. And he grabs his hand and he pulls. And the man stands up and starts to scream and shout. Everyone's losing their minds. And the two ladies with him go, he has a stomach bug. He came up because he had a stomach bug, but God decided that this is the moment of destiny that we're going to not only cure the stomach bug, we're going to cure everything in your life. And this man, this beggar is standing, this layman, and Peter and John stand and look at him and say, silver and gold, don't, we don't have it. Deflate. But what we do have, we will give. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Forty years this man has sat there. Jesus just died and rose again 40 days earlier. How, how many times did Jesus pass this man? How many times on the way to the temple did, did he make eye contact with Jesus and Jesus passes by? Here's what I want you to hear. There's going to be moments in your life where you have a, a, a tremendous need in your life. And it's going to seem like Jesus is walking past you. But here's what I want you to hear me when I tell you this. He may be walking past you and you may not receive what you want today, but today is not forever. There is a moment, and I feel it in my gut, that Jesus is walking by going, your day is coming. Your day is coming. Why not now? We needed this moment. Your day is coming. And here's what I want you to hear me. Do not be discouraged when other people are receiving their blessings. Don't be discouraged when other people are getting what you are praying for. Don't be discouraged when the issues of life around you are big and they're falling apart in your world, but seemingly thriving in other people's world. Don't be discouraged when Jesus seems to be blessing relationships and not yours, and kids and not yours, and finances and not yours, because here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is not going to pass you by forever. Their day was coming. And it gets to this place where Peter stands and says, silver and gold don't I have, but what I do have, I'll give you. He didn't give them a gospel track. Bunch of y'all are going to go out to lunch. Don't look at the waitress and be like, I've got a great tip for you. And she walks away and you leave five tips to have successful income, like a pamphlet. Like, don't be that guy. I, I, had the, I worked at a restaurant for a little bit, and uh, it used to be called the Cajun Grill. It was a horrible experience. But one day I, I saw a $100 tip on the table. And I was, as you can imagine, at 17 years old, unbelievably excited that I got a $100 tip. And so I grabbed it and opened it up, and it was a track. It was $100 on one side. When you opened it up, it was about John 3.16. I'm like, this is the most aggravating Christian I've ever experienced in my life. And under it was like 45 cents. Don't be that guy. 
don't be that guy. Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have is so much more valuable because you're going to be hungry again. You're going to be thirsty again, but what I can give you will give you the ability to get everything you could possibly want and need. We're going to change your life. And for the first time in his world, he was, had the ability to rise and walk, which opened the door for work, which opened the door for him to have relationships, to have kids, to walk to his mom and dad for the first time and say, everything's okay. Can you imagine that encounter? Him walking home to his, his brothers or sisters or mom and dad, and they see him walking in. You wonder if he ran out there or did he just sit there on the mat and when they say, hey, we're here to get you, he just stands up and like, okay, let's go and rolls his bed up. This isn't just a story of a man getting healed. This is a story of a generation of people getting changed. The waves that this would ripple through was huge. And here's the thing that I, I, it struck me when I was playing the piano today was, and it gave him the opportunity to walk into the temple for the first time. See, the damage that has been caused in this man's life, spiritually, physically, and emotionally, could all be taken care of with one proper connection with a spirit-filled believer. And for the first time, he was able to walk in. Notice Jesus didn't change the law. What he did was he came to restore all that was broken. The law was still the law. You couldn't go in if you were lame. But this man, his condition has changed dramatically because Jesus steps in and does something great in his life. I, I was reading this and I was, I was, I was going through uh, this whole experience and, and as they were walking through it, uh, this is what one of the medical doctors said, and I love this. He says, there are particular technical words of medical here that have been translated. The word feet is only used by Luke, and it occurs nowhere else, and it indicates his discrimination between different parts of the human heel, the phrase like the ankle bone. This is, again, a medical phrase found nowhere else in the Bible, and the word leaping up describes the coming together of joints suddenly into socket that have been out place and articulated a joint realignment. This is a very careful medical description of what happened when this man's healing was, was available for this man for the first time. It's not that this man just goes, rise up and walk, and give me a second, Pete. He slowly starts getting, and his legs start shaking. The idea here is as if, Not too long ago, I was cutting grass, and um, I, I had the privilege of taking a yellow jacket to the behind as I'm mowing grass. And do you think in that moment I cared at all about cutting grass? No, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden there was this leaping of, oh, God, and I'm running because something just bit my booty, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on as the mower just keeps dying and rolling and dying. This man didn't sit there and slowly get up. It has this idea of popping together and he stands up like, how did I get up here? How did, how did this happen? As if he was jolted up out of nowhere. I love this. It doesn't give him the opportunity to think himself out of a miracle. 
It forces him to go, what just happened and how am I here? And why do I have strength in my legs? That would never worked. It wasn't just a hip out of placement. It wasn't just a pain. The idea that you haven't used your legs for 40 years means you had zero muscle in your legs. So God fixed the bones. He fixed the joints. He fixed the ligaments. He fixed the, the muscles. He fixed every aspect of his body to have him walk for the very first time. And in your life and in my life, here's what I want you to hear me say is this, is that God has the ability to fix all the brokenness in one single move. And maybe you are like this beggar that has been beat down and been busted and disgusted and had all these people talk mean things to you. And you've been walking around on the outside, but on the inside, you're dying on the inside. And you feel like you've been having all these labels placed on you. Here's what I want you to hear me out. God wants to heal the inside and the outside. Maybe you have felt worthless and like a nobody. But when Jesus and his Holy Spirit-filled believers show up on the scene, everything can change. Because God wants to encounter you. I, I, he, he walks up to this man, Peter does, and he heals him. And for the first time, he's able to go into the temple. And, I, I, and here's where we are. We hear people say, come as you are. And that's beautiful. But God doesn't want you to stay in that condition. He wants you to grow and to change. And when it comes to this man, for the first time, he has the ability to have a relationship with his family. He has the ability to have a job. He has the ability to have a relationship with a, with, with a, a future wife. He has the ability to have a relationship with the people in his church, in the temple. He has the ability to have a whole new world open up in front of him. And I want you to understand that God's power is just as relevant today as it was back then. The story of Peter walking through and, and John and healing this beggar is not something, this, this lame man is not something trivial as, oh, cool, man got healed. It changed everything. Verse 13, verse 12, sorry. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, <laughs> men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? I don't know, Pete. Guy's been broke down for 40 years. I mean, or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness? See, here's the kicker. Remember that whole beginning part is how their godliness was shown by how much they gave to the poor? And Peter's looking at them going, you may have given in your form of godliness. We have healed this man, but it's not because of what we have done. My godliness or my spirituality isn't based on how many miracles I perform. How close I am to God is not a direct representation of how awesome that I am in God's eyes. Nor if you have not had a crazy miracle story in your life doesn't mean that God has neglected you or that you are a horrible sinner or that you are worthless and God has his select few that he likes, but he doesn't like you. Your godliness is never determined by what you can do. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, <laughs> whom you delivered up 
and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are all witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faithful which comes through him has been given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter looks yet again. Just a little while ago, I was a coward, and now I'm standing in front of people declaring the goodness of God. And now we're going to escalate the Holy Spirit another step. We're here now healing somebody, and now I'm standing in the temple, the very spot where they were doing their best to conjure up false testimony against Jesus. When he would stand in front of the Sanhedrin, and they would spit on him, and they would beat him, and Peter's hiding over there. Remember, I'm hiding over there, by around a fire. Don't you know this man? I don't even know him. And I, I find Jesus, that God has a sense of humor that he not only restored that man in that spot, there's a moment inside of Peter that he gets restored to speak the name of Jesus in the same area that he just denied the name of Jesus. See, God's the God of the second chances. You never have that same moment again, but God will continually go, I'll give you another round. I'll give you an opportunity because there had to have been something burning inside of Peter to go, if I get the chance, I won't mess it up this time. And he has his moment. See, this story is about a man getting healed, but the story is also about Peter getting restored too. This story is about Peter looking back and going, I denied here and I proved here. I didn't do it this time. These apostles, the disciples, have already seen miracles before. They performed miracles before. This isn't their first rodeo. But this is the first moment that Peter gets redemption in his spot too. He gets to stand in front of the people. Remember, he's at the temple this time, which means when he says, you murdered them, they probably did. He's not vaguely speaking. He's pointing people out. Yeah, I was here and I was a coward, but you did it. You did it. You did it. And now I'm standing here showing you that he still works today. You thought you killed him. You created a bigger problem than you could possibly imagine. See, a spirit-filled believer should be able to look at the enemy and say, you may think that I am down, but you have no idea the problem you just caused. It is in this moment that everything begins to speed up. It's in this moment from chapter 3 on that the entire world begins to be flipped upside down because now it's not just a Jesus that they killed. Now all of his followers and the people that they are influencing are beginning to be these little Jesuses walking around, changing everything. And it begins to spin out of control because now they can't just kill everybody. They created a mess. And there has to be this moment where they're standing there at the temple, and if you can give me some, some liberty to, to add myself into this, where they're standing there watching this going, oh God, what have we done? 
this is going to empower Jesus' story even bigger. And I want that in your life. I want every time the enemy comes and pushes against you, he goes, shouldn't have done that. That the enemy begs for peace with you because he doesn't want to make you angry anymore. Because every time he pushes against you, you take more land back. That every time he comes up against you, you laugh in his face and say, well, show you what we're about to do. You see, if you take the approach of Peter and you follow the Holy Spirit, and when he says to do something radical, you do it, you don't make something happen. But if he speaks, you say, yes, sir, and you do it. And then you stand back and watch the enemies, all of his plans come falling apart going, I created a monster. Because the moment a son or a daughter of God walks in line with the Holy Spirit, it is the biggest monster that the enemy could ever faced. He already knew who Jesus was. But now when he's inside of each and every one of you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He's petrified of you. Which goes back to Exodus. Why were the children of Israel so oppressed? Because Pharaoh was scared of them. He says their numbers multiplied. He says, if they partner with our enemies, they will overtake us. So let's push them down harder so they don't even think about it. Many of you guys have been beat down. You've been beat up. You've been isolated. You've been told you were worthless. A lot of times you are spirit-filled believers, fully capable of walking, yet you are sitting at the gate because life has done its best to push you down. And I feel like God today is wanting you to hear his voice say, stand up and walk. Rise up and walk in the anointing that you were called to walk in. Stand up and be the person that God has called you to be. Stand up and believe like you used to believe. Walk like you used to walk. Proclaim like you used to proclaim. Pray like you used to pray. Believe and perform. Do all the things that you used to do. They're not dead and you're no longer lame. Rise up and walk and spit in the enemy's face one more time. That's your call. We can sit at the gate and we can act like beggars or you can stand up filled with the Holy Spirit and revolutionize the entire area. The choice is always yours. But it always starts with this. Holy Spirit, what would you have for me today? Today. I'm not asking you to write a 30-year plan. Today. I give you today. If there's an opportunity, today. If there's an opportunity at lunch, I'll take it. Whatever it is, today, Holy Spirit, I give you today. Flow through me today and watch his progression in your life radically change. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an incredible day, wonderful worship service, and tonight, today as we wrap this sermon up that you continue to open our eyes to see us, God, the way you want us to be seen, not through pride and haughtiness, not through arrogance or greed, but God, let us see what you want us to see. Be what you want us to be. Do what you want us to do in all things pertaining life and godliness. I ask God that you give us opportunities to be and to, to, to walk in your Holy Spirit uh, that, that seem contrary to the world, that don't make sense, that will cause an awe, a wonder, a disturbance in the atmosphere. And I just thank you for each and every person listening to the sound of my voice today that are, that are, that are going to be following you with all their heart, with all their soul, with their mind and strength. 
In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.